If you love the blue and white like we do, and you like to stay up to date on what's going on around Ripley High School athletics, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and turn on your notifications. We're calling this our super edition of Viking 360, and here's why. We have a talk about Bill Carr. He grew up in Ripley in the uh, 1920s in an era when Ripley High School did not offer football. So he played his high school football in Ravenswood and went on to star for the Mountaineers and in the National Football League with the Chicago Bears, including playing in the championship game in an era when there was no Super Bowl. Then we'll talk with Mark, Mark Martin about the career of Paul Lanham, which included not one, but two appearances in the Super Bowl with the Los Angeles Rams and with the Washington Redskins. We're talking with Will Larkin of the Chicago Tribune. And with this being the 100th year of the National Football League, uh, the um, Tribune and the rest of the league, uh, they put together uh, a lot of things in conjunction with this uh, 100th anniversary, including uh, an all-Chicago Bear team. And included on that was Ripley native Bill Carr. So, Will, tell me a little bit about uh, your series and the book and, uh, and how Bill Carr was selected. Um, yeah, no problem. Uh, first of all, just thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, Bill Carr, um, he was one of the players who, you know, was in the running for, you know, one of the final spots on the list. Um, what we did to make the list, um, I went back through Bears history and made a list of anybody I thought who uh, could be a candidate to be on the top 100. And I came up with 236 names who I thought, you know, had a shot at it. So, you know, we kind of whittled them away, uh, me and the Bears writers and editors at the Tribune. So there were about seven people um, coming up with the rankings. And um, one of the things that we looked at with Carr was his big plays in important games. And we felt like that, you know, despite the fact he had a relatively short career, that that um, made him deserving of a spot on the list. You know, the touchdowns he had in uh, NFL championship games um, really kind of made him stand out from some of the other names who did not make the list. Well, so um, Bill Carr, he starred collegiately at West Virginia University, and then he takes off for Chicago at a time that there wasn't uh, an NFL draft. It was pretty much every uh, team for itself uh, at that time. Mm -hmm. But he had a, a uh, what would be considered a pretty remarkable year in 1933, and he led the league in touchdown receptions, but it was nothing compared to today's NFL game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, led the league with three touchdown receptions. Um, obviously, this was a time when uh, the forward pass was not uh, 
as big of a weapon yet. Um, it was mostly used as kind of a surprise or a trick play, um, which some of Carr's touchdowns were, you know, the result of one of his great ones was the result of a pass from the Bears fullback, uh, Bronco Nagurski, who took a handoff, charged toward the line, stopped, and did a jump pass toward Carr, kind of kind of the way we saw Tim Tebow do at Florida about 10 years ago. So, you know, somewhat relevant to the modern game there. And then um, there was also a uh, hook and ladder touchdown involved where he received a lateral from one of the other uh, tight ends and, you know, was obviously a big surprise to the defense. So, yeah, the passing game was not uh, not as big of a feature back then. Um, that was right around the time they changed the football. Um, I think they did that in 1934 uh, to the modern shape with, you know, the kind of the pointed edges. Uh, before that, it kind of looked a little bit more like a rugby ball, which was kind of watermelon shaped and a little bit harder to throw. And I thought it was interesting, uh, Will, that uh, he was named an All-Pro in the uh, 35 season, and he only had um, six touchdown receptions as an All-Pro uh, wide receiver. And as a matter of fact, in his six-year career, uh, he ended up with 20 during his entire career, yet he is considered uh, one of the best at that position at, at the time. Yeah, that was a, that was a very impressive uh number to get 20 uh, touchdowns in, you know, seven or eight years. Um, you know, most players uh, would be lucky to get, you know, one a season, and he was getting multiple touchdowns a season. So that made him one of the more, you know, I don't know if you would say feared, but respected uh, receivers of his time. And uh, while at the time there was no Super Bowl, I guess the Super Bowl equivalent at the time would have been the NFL championship game. And the Bears picked up a big win in uh, 33 by uh, knocking off the New York Giants in a pretty dramatic game, which you touched upon earlier. Yeah, um, the football historians say, you know, that's one of the greatest games of all time and one that, you know, kind of sparked a little bit more interest in the NFL. You know, nothing like we see today. But, um, you know, it w at that time it was... Uh, you know, a pretty minor sport. Um, as a matter of fact, Bronco Nagurski, who I referenced earlier, he at one point retired from the Bears so he could make more money in professional wrestling. So, you know, it, 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 yeah, it was not the professional football that we know today, but the 19, uh, excuse me, 1933 championship game kind of started to put it a little bit on the map, and that was actually the first planned championship game um, in 1932 the Bears also won the title but as a result of a championship game but that was kind of an impromptu game after there was a tie in the standings they decided to break the tie with a championship game and you know that went so well that they decided to make that a part of the regular season but yeah then you know that happened for about 35 years before um, they decided to start the Super Bowl um, involving the AFL with the NFL. And that's, you know, when the league kind of started to really take off. But, yeah, there was about 35 years where the NFL champion was named, um, you know, after the championship game before the Super Bowl. 
And we're talking with Will Larkin of the Chicago Tribune. And Will, you touched upon the money aspect of it. And I thought it was interesting to note uh, the winner's share of that uh, championship game in 33 was something like $210. So these guys were not getting rich playing football. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, it was while the Depression was going on, so there just wasn't a lot of money, period, to be had. So, you know, these guys... You know, yeah, they were playing for whatever little they could, extra they could get in their pocket. There, it, you know, it, like I said before, with you know Nagurski going to professional wrestling, it, it was not a, it was not something you could make a living at. They all had you know other jobs as well, and um, yeah, most of the careers were pretty short because you know it, it was still a brutal game. Maybe even more so with you know no face mask and the leather helmets, but. So, you know, people didn't last very long, and they didn't get paid very much either. And as I recall, uh, Bill Carr, uh, when he returned to West Virginia, he was briefly in the military uh, during World War II, and also he was a, served as a state trooper uh, based in the, in the Charleston area. I thought another interesting thing for uh, some of the young fans out there is the fact that where the Bears uh, played their games at the time, Soldier Field, I believe, was yet to arrive on the scene. So another familiar stadium uh, played home to the Bears in uh, Wrigley Field. Yeah, that was their home for uh, much of their history. Um, They uh, played there, you know, in the uh, fall and winter. Um, George Hallis. The Bears owner was a very big fan of the Chicago Cubs, the you know Wrigley Field's main tenant. And once the uh, Bears showed that they could draw a crowd um, after their first season in 19, the first two seasons in 1920 and 21, they showed, hey, we can draw a pretty good crowd, especially in the games against the Chicago Cardinals, which are, are now the Arizona Cardinals, but back then the Back then, Chicago had two teams, just like, you know, in baseball, um, with the Cubs on the north side and the White Sox on the south side. That's how it was in football at that time. You had the Bears on the north side and the Cardinals on the south side. They proved that they could draw a pretty good crowd. So George Hallis went to the Wrigley family, who, you know, obviously owned Wrigley Field, and asked them if they needed a winter tenant. And they said, yeah, if you can draw a crowd, you can play at our stadium. And that started a very long uh, relationship between uh, the Bears and the Wrigleys. And Wrigley Field was their home field uh, for a long time, um, all the way through the 60s. Um, You know, Dick Buckus and Gail Sayers, that was their home field as, as well. Will, thank you so much for talking with us. And if anyone out there would like to uh, get a copy of the book, uh, could you tell us uh, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, thank you for asking. If you go to um, store.chicagotribune.com and look for the Bears 100 newspaper book, um, they have those available for sale. And that's um, that has copies of all 100 of the stories that we did on the 100 Greatest Bears players. Will, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun.
Rupa High's very own Paul Lanham, the late, great Paul Lanham. He started his coaching career at Ripley and climbed into the collegiate ranks and then eventually into the National Football League. There he would advance to two Super Bowls, as we hear from another Ripley graduate, Mark Martin, who uh, authored a book about the uh, coaching career of Paul Lanham. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Mark, what can you tell us about uh, Paul Lanham's uh, two experiences on the Super Bowl Sundays? Well, the first was one that I'm not sure they were expecting to have happen because he was with the L.A. Rams, and they had fired George Allen, which was the reason why Paul ended up at L.A. in the first place. Ray Malavasi took over, and one thing led to another, and the next thing you know, they were in the Super Bowl taking on the vaunted Pittsburgh Steelers, so that was in 1980, so that's... Finishing up the football season in 1979, and uh, they gave uh, the Steelers all they wanted, but they fell in that game. But uh, another thing that stands out the most that Paul talked about, and it's crazy when you think about this because it would never happen today, but uh, back then Paul had two sons who loved football. They were up-and-coming players, young guys. They had been the ball boys for the L.A. Rams, and uh, suddenly here comes the Super Bowl, and then everyone and their brother wanted to be ball boys in the Super Bowl, and uh, the equipment guy said no. Uh, Randy and Steve Lanham have been here all season. They are going to be the Super Bowl ball boys for this game. And uh, one was the ball boy for the Steelers, and the other was the ball boy for the Rams. So it's crazy. The Rams did not have a ball boy for a Super Bowl. And so anyway, Paul and his two sons are riding the bus together to the stadium. And he says, you know, life just doesn't get much better than this. Here I am going to a Super Bowl. A guy from uh, Sycamore in Jackson County, West Virginia. And here I'm going to coach the biggest game. And my two boys are going to be right there on the sidelines. One's going to be on the other side. And one's going to be right there near where I am. And it's going to be a great day. And then he also uh, advanced to the Super Bowl uh, with the Redskins. Yeah, the next time he made it to the Super Bowl game, kind of a crazy story. He had actually decided uh, at the end of the 1986 football season in the NFL to just get out of coaching. He was with the Detroit Lions, just wasn't real happy with the situation there, and just decided to go back to California where he had continued to keep a home. His wife was at a teaching school there, and he was going to just really follow his youngest son, Randy, who by that time was playing college football at the University of Delaware. And about midway through the season, the Washington Redskins were having uh, some special team issues and that was in the fall of 87 joe gibbs decided to give paul a call and said hey would you consider coming here and uh, kind of taking care of things uh, he didn't fire his special teams coach but he definitely wanted to have uh, another voice and that voice was paul and so paul went there to uh 
basically take over Redskins special teams. And, you know, Joe Gibbs told me when I interviewed him for this book that uh, we don't win the Super Bowl if I don't bring Paul Lanham with us. And uh, they had a lot of, they got a lot of things straightened out and uh, had some things happen along the way that got them to the Super Bowl. And then they had their way and defeated uh, John Elway and the Denver Broncos, which would have been the Super Bowl in the year of 1988, which would uh, cap off the 1987 season. Mark, so pretty neat stuff. Yeah, Mark, uh, within the past year, we had to, to say our goodbyes to Paul Anna, but he was certainly a man who left an impact, I know, on you, on the Ripley community, and on the, uh, the um, football community at large. Yeah, I sure did. I mean, obviously, uh, once uh, his football days were over, uh, he and his wife, Helen, who had passed away a couple of years prior to Paul's death, they decided they're going to come back to West Virginia. She was from Sissonville. Of course, he was from here in Ripley, and uh, that's what they did. And, you know, they just, uh, you know, embraced the community. The community embraced them. There were never any errors about Paul and all the accomplishments he had. He, he wasn't that kind of person, and uh, he just fit in. And uh, now he wasn't afraid to show off that Super Bowl ring from time to time. <laughs> uh, but uh, and, uh, he deserved that. And, uh, yeah, he's just a, a great man, great Christian man. And, yeah, he's, he's definitely missed. Mark, thank you very much. All right, Mike, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Remember, for all the news on the blue, go anywhere you can find podcasts, search Viking 360, hit the subscribe button, and turn on your notifications.